you've heard me talk about it before, and I'm truly not joking. I'm being 100% genuine. I love Doc Spartan products. I use it every day. I talk about the Sex Panther beard bomb. That's literally what is in my beard right now. And I use all of the scrubs, my favorite being the coffee scrub, just in the shower, gives you the tingles, gives you the feels. I love it. And there's so many other great products. I use their deodorant. I've used their hand care when I've had tears. Just check them out. It's veteran owned, you know, guy that was in the military serving our country, Dale. I got to know him over the years and he's just a great dude. And I started buying his products and he reached out to me and said, hey, we want to support the show and we appreciate it. And I just want you guys to not only support Doc Spartan and Dale, but also reap the benefits. If you want to be sexy like me, then you want to check out Doc Spartan products, 15% off with the code best hour. That's best hour for 15% off anything at their website, docspartan.com. Check out the coffee scrub and definitely check out the beard balm. And ladies, there's stuff for you too. So head on over to docspartan.com, use the code best hour and save 15%. We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. Welcome back, best hour heads. Is that a, can I say that? Uh, you can say whatever you want, but I don't know what you're talking about. Well, best hour heads is like dead heads. Oh, got it. You're talking about our, our following, our groupies, if you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, our groupies, I don't know about that. But I was <laughs> thinking about this for, you and I have recently talked about, hey, we're going to go away together, just the families, for something fun. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? By the way, I, so I, I do remember that. It was, what do you mean do I remember? It was my idea. The, um, the, I, Jess was just texting me, like, we're, we're doing a trip in April, and then we're doing one for a week. So in May for Cinco de Mayo. We go to Mexico. We're going as close as you can get to Mexico without going to Mexico. <laughs> Where's it? Where's that? Texas? You're going like this. Yeah. Sal Padre. My butt. Oh. I've got a buddy who lives down there. He lives in a just offensively large house on the beach. And, uh, he's been, he's been ribbing me for a long time about going down there. So we're going down there. Long story short, he's a doctor. He lives down there, but he, um, he, we, his, his mom. So Cinco de Mayo, he was a college buddy of mine. He, and, uh, Cinco de Mayo was always like our, our thing for whatever reason. We just like to celebrate Cinco de Mayo, but then his mom passed away on Cinco de Mayo. Uh, man, I forgot how many years ago, but it's been a long time. Um, so he does like a Cinco de Mayo thing every year, like in her honor, but then, so then this year, Jess and I, and then, so, and then Jess, he and I and Jess met all met at, met at the same time, like 22 years ago. So we're going to go down there and spend the, the week with him and his wife and with no kids. So this will be the longest vacation we've taken since our honeymoon. Who watches the kids when you're gone? One of your parents? 
I mean, they're pretty self-sustaining. I think Logan can like, watch <laughs> Chappie at this point. He wears a helmet everywhere now, so he's safe. Yeah. Because um, I, I was actually thinking about it today. We have we had our doula over to just visit after the baby. And she was like, so do you want me to like watch the I was like, yeah, can we leave? And Roz is like, I'm not ready to leave. I'm like, <laughs> when do you, it's been three weeks. Like, when do we get to leave this thing? Oh, dude, it'll uh, probably six months. Before and I get the to- first. Uh, well, no, you can leave whenever you want. She's not going to feel comfortable leaving the baby for a long time. Yeah, I was, uh, I was way, you know, in a different mindset than her about that. I was like, yeah. We, so with our second one, I mean, shit with Logan, we didn't leave forever just because that was a different scenario. But even with Chappie, he was born in February. And then we, our first trip away from him, which was even still hard for her, was the affiliate gathering in Canada in September. That's right. You guys, I didn't even think about that. You were there without the babies. Yeah. That was the first time we're all together. So anyway, here's what I'm thinking. Assuming the world opens back up, assuming concerts happen again, you, Jess, me, Roz probably won't want to go, but I'll invite her. Dave Matthews band, three nights at the Gorge in Washington. It's been kind of my dream to go there. And I got another three uh, consecutive nights. He plays all three nights. Typically, the Gorge is like the big, the culmination, the final stop of the summer tour. And it's been something I've wanted to do since I was like 18. We're big uh, Dave Matthews fans. Like, that's one of the few concerts here that will like spring and get like box seats and close up yeah. and, and do like the VIP passes and stuff like that because he crushes in Virginia Beach. Oh, they play what they pay. Yeah. They pay. They play way past curfew. They play all the good shit. Um, so let's do it. Good. All right. All right. Cool. So you guys hear it. Hopefully, I mean, I don't know that there's going to be a summer tour this year, but if there is, probably not. What the Washington State, right? Not Washington yeah. D.C. Yeah. Okay. No, no state. Yeah. yeah so DC's, anyway, D.C.'s never opening up. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about today's topic at hand. This was something that came up because. You know, oftentimes on my personal Instagram, I'll just say, hey, who's got some questions? And I like to answer them. A lot of times I'll just DM back and forth or put it up in a story. But one of the questions that I get asked often, and this time I just felt like, hey, let's dig into it. Recently talked about it in our coaches development group, but I figured we can talk about it on the podcast as well. And that's the topic of imposter syndrome. So what do you think? first think about when you hear that term imposter syndrome Fern. my first this is a weird question because like i have i kind of have like hindsight on this but my first thing is most people are not aware that they have it interesting so what how does that usually manifest itself then if i don't know i have imposter syndrome what does that look like so I, I think I think the most common form of impo- we see this all the time. I see the most common form of imposter syndrome, specifically in the CrossFit affiliate owner space, is this idea that they shouldn't be making money. They're like they start to be they start to see some success, and it doesn't feel right. I shouldn't be doing this. I don't belong here. This isn't appropriate. Uh, anybody who's ever kind of been through this ringer that didn't that there are some exceptions people who've come from a previous business background and they're and they're to some degree shielded from this but even in that scenario the benevolence of crossfit and the in the in the 
the sheer romance that people have with it causes them to be irrational. So I've seen it there as well. So that is where I see it the most is they don't, they feel like an imposter being a successful box owner. I, you know what? I hadn't even looked at it from that vantage point. I was only looking at it from the coaches. I, if you will, but I do agree with you. I think when I was, when I first opened the box in 2007, it wasn't, you know, probably till 2008 or nine where I felt like a business owner. But a lot of that was like, I'm just a coach that opened a business. Like I, you don't stop and think, no, 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 no. You're a business owner. And not only are you a business owner, you know, you're a successful one. And because of that, you deserve to make money. It, it's the most people only recognize it when they get to a breaking point. That's, that's the bad part about it is like very few people recognize it prior to and can break that cycle of thought before they get to a bad space. So usually, usually this, this manifests itself when like people are like at the bottom and they're just like, oh, I have this block on whatever it be like making money or being successful, like whatever that means for you or, you know, or, um, or not coaching any classes, like whatever that, like, so I, I don't, I don't, I didn't have imposter syndrome, but like, this is the first time in 12 years that I will not coach any classes in a, in a month. In one, yeah, for like, well, yeah, for this full month, I will not coach any classes. Right. So you're, I, I remember doing that myself, thinking like I've made it, like this is great. Like I own a business and I can work on it versus in it. How does that make you feel as a box owner? This, I mean, you've been open, you know, coming up on, you know, 10 years now. How like does that 12. make you 12 years? We just and had an 11 is, year anniversary. And this is the first time in 12 years you've taken yourself off this calendar for a full month well, and you this may is get, interesting. you may get called in like, look, Lindsay's going to have right, a bad yeah, day. I'm like, I'm still, yeah, I'm standby. So no, I got pushed out. <laughs> That's a good problem. That's a good problem. Yeah. Right? I was, I was talking to Denise Thomas the other day. She's like, how are things going? I was like, I got pushed out of coaching in my own gym. And she was like, what? And I was like, no, I was like, I was just, I was, I was in the way. Like I have coaches that want to coach more. It was taking up space. And this idea that I need to be on the floor and nobody can do it better than me is, you know, I've been around long enough to know that that is just not true. Well, and not to mention, while you have a great coaching staff and you have former box owners on your staff, there are things that only you can do. And it doesn't make sense for you to be taking your hours your work hours and coaching when you have phenomenal coaches not just Cassidy and Lindsay but quite a few other great coaches and they can do that well right some might say better than you and you could be working on other things I mean quite frankly let's 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 hope so let's hope that they are better than me maybe not right now but but you could I mean it's it's like it's not a foregone conclusion that one is better than the other. Like each, we each have our own unique. So, but two other coaches, we'll, we'll be on to have five level three coaches by the end of this year. And right now, so right now you have three, correct? Right now we have three. And then, you know, whenever the level four, like we would pretty quickly have three level four coaches, but you're making some bold assumptions there. Most importantly that you would pass. Oh, I would pass. Yeah. 
flying colors. Yeah. Cause, cause I still coach. I'm still in the affiliate. You, you could, you could not pass. So like the better happened to you was that you, they were, they were gifted you that years ago. I'm the, on paternity um, leave. I still coach. I'm on paternity uh, leave. Right. So, um, but yeah, that, that is so more valuable, right? So me getting on the floor and coaching or me still interacting with members, hopping into more classes and then giving 15 to 20 coach evals. Right. Cause you, you, while Cassie and Lindsay can probably give coach evals, they're probably the only two, but you also know what you're looking for and, and can help bring it up, bring up the coaching level the best. But they want it too. Right. So like everybody needs to be managed. Like we've talked about this before, this idea that like people are like I'm micromanaging. I'm like, well, it may be micromanaging or it might just be managing. managing. People don't want to be managed. Right. Like that's a separate discussion. Um, so but they want feedback as well. Or like even the best coaches can fall into like weird little ruts where they, you know, your classes run over or you're talking too much or you didn't cover what you're supposed to. You forgot to give announcements like that's really easy to do. I don't give a shit how good you are like that. If to run the perfect class is incredibly difficult. I asked for advice, not advice. I asked for feedback, but I, I guess advice as well. When I coach and you know, the owner of the box I coach at is a level three, but there's a couple, there's a level two and a level one. I always ask for some feedback. Hey, what'd you like about that? What could I have done better? Yeah. So I think if, if, if you're providing, if you're coaching period, you want that feedback. Let's, let's look at it from a different perspective. I think it's important to look at it from that box owner perspective, but I was really expecting you to think about it from the coach's perspective. Got it. And, and hey, you can have imposter syndrome anywhere in life. So there, it's not limited to only coaching, but I think for most of our listeners, it would, it's not so much only when they run their box because we have plenty of just at level one and level two trainers, but also just in general when it comes to coaching. Did you ever feel, did you ever feel it yourself or were you just so arrogant and cocky when you started coaching that you were like, I'm the best? Probably the latter. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm wasn't. Not, well, I wasn't. so, uh, well, this is from a coaching standpoint, not really. There probably may be some, some, I don't know, like even, even when I was like, like going through the process for seminar staff it wasn't like i didn't feel like I, I i didn't i honestly with the exception of like fucking it up and, and thinking i've like had forfeited a good opportunity like i didn't feel like i shouldn't be there i did you feel like that ner- I, during your internship what you felt as if you fucked it up yeah when i bobbled the progressions i absolutely felt like i fucked it up <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> Yeah, well, Donnie Forbes reminds me on a regular occasion. <laughs> the uh, it's just a running joke, which that 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 humility will stay with me forever. Which so that is a good thing, right? And I bounced back and I made it, and it, it worked out. But um, I was f- from a coaching standpoint, I was fortunate. Like I grew up in the world of coaching. Like from the age of five, I was watching people coach things like my entire life has been consumed with being directly adjacent or underneath somebody coaching 
Primarily, so, your father was a, a basketball. Well, player, even right? before that, yeah. But I mean, but like I always had coaches in sport, and then I had, you know, I was like, but even when I wasn't playing for my dad, I was in the locker room with the teams, whether it was when he was uh, like in the dugout for so unique scenario. So in my high school class, this is a really weird, unique scenario. The football coach, the baseball coach, and the basketball coach, all three of their sons were in the same class. So me and two of my friends, our, fa- our fathers were like the big three coaches at the high school. Oh, you were those kids. Right, yeah, I was that. Yeah, we were those kids. So um, so we all grew up, and and our dads coached across sports in some of those scenarios too. But so we were all, like I was in the football locker room. I was in the baseball dugout. I was in the basketball locker room. So I was always around coaching and at practice and all that other stuff. So I was kind of handed a lot of these skills just by proxy. Like I was just there when you were young. And then I went to a lot of camps and I taught kids at an early age, you know, stuff like that. Well, when you were young in those dugouts and watching your father and, and the other coaches, what were a few things that you thought as you watched them that made a good coach? Ooh, you know, that's, I never, I didn't realize those at first. That's not what I, that's not as a young kid, what I, what I was digesting. I was digesting the players and their reactions to the coaches. So like, I wasn't even like my brain probably wasn't developed enough to, to, to really be attached to the coach. You just kind of either liked the coach or you didn't, you, but you're too young to know why, like you're not comprehending all of that stuff. Right. What I, what I was always attuned to was how did the players react to the coaches? Like that would, that is what I was, that was, what I was completely dialed into. And then later was able to piece together, like why certain players reacted to certain coaches in certain ways. You were noticing that as a kid? I don't know why, but yeah. It's probably huh. mostly because I idolized the players. Like in all those, those high school guys, and I mean, I just still know most of their names. They, you know, I was like a little kid, like five, six, seven years old. Um, but they were, those were my idols at that point. Like, yeah, I was like the MJs of the world, but like there was really like, like Adrian Dunn and Marvell Jackson and like all these guys who like, those guys were like, they were like gods to me. So like I watched everything that they did. And I was, and I would watch the interaction and I would see the communication and I, and I would see the struggle and the tension and then, and then the breakthrough and then they would go out and they would do So like, that's what I, I mean, I don't know if that's weird or not, but like, that's, that's what I saw. No, I I think that's similar, you know, in in the wrestling room for me, the coach is one thing, but you're looking up to the kids and it's always funny too. Like I, I remember being a freshman on the wrestling team and to me, the 10th graders were like gods and older and, you know, et cetera. And then you're like, you're looking up to them. And then a year later, you're like, I'm not like that. I'm not this mature human being. And now all of a sudden they're Jew. And the, the seniors, when you're a freshman are like, who are these adults? You, right. know, and, you know, and you really do look up to them. And then by the time you're a senior, you don't feel like you're as uh, mature and, and like they were. Yeah, and that's that's part of that is that imposter syndrome, right? I I grew up to be captain of the wrestling team, but I never felt like Craig Glenn, who was the captain of the wrestling team when I was. I mean, I still remember his name. I haven't seen him in twenty years, but you know, he was he was my idol back then. Right. I think. Um. Again, I this I will attribute this to my I I think and I was parented very well in many ways, and I think um 
there's a lot of things that were done intentionally that I was not aware of that, that, that allowed me to bypass imposter syndrome as a, as a player. Like I always felt like I should have been there and I deserved to have been there and I deserved to be there. And quite frankly, I was angry if I wasn't there. Right. So like, um, you know, you're talking about like you look at seniors as gods. Well, I was playing varsity summer leagues in middle school. Look at you just humble bragging. No, but my point was like my, my, I was placed there on purpose because. Cause you were good. Cause you're the I was best. good. I was good. However, but like, it was only like, it wasn't like all the time. It wasn't overdone. My dad was never like, you know, over the top with adoration towards me. It was minimal effective dose to put me in the mix, to learn something, to be hungry and then remove me so that I would want to be there again. So it was never like, you're great. You're the best. So like that was not our relationship at all. It was not all pats on the back. It was mostly just like, Hey, if you want to be good, I'm going to stick you in here. Don't fuck it up. And I would yeah. get in there and, 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 and kind of survive and then, you know, and even like in early middle school, like I would go to LSU and in the summer leagues and I would like wait around for hours to get like one pickup game in there. And so that from a, from a player standpoint, the, I never really kind of felt the imposter syndrome maybe until college. And that even that was brief, you know, it was just like, okay, I, sh I should be here. Deserve um, to be here. And, you yeah. know, and, and let's let's swing it and relate it to coaching. I think a lot of coaches can relate it to this athleticism aspect of it. You know, you go take your level one or you start coaching somewhere. And a lot of times you're not the best athlete at the box. For many, you are. You know, even for me, 2007, yeah, I was the best. But by 2008, I no longer was. And I think for a lot of people listening, they have that imposter syndrome. I kind of came up with a list of things that they should – remember rely on think about when they're feeling that way i'd be interested in hearing your perspective on these things so i'm i'm so like i'll before you go there I, i'm really interested in to hear it like i guess um i look at it a little bit differently right like i get why people have that um but again like i just my upbringing and my experiences led me to not really comprehend that because it, like if you're playing sports like the basketball coach is not the best player so I always looked at, I always looked at, or even the football coach or whatever, like I always looked at like the coach is not the best person. Well, that's what we're going to get to. That's okay. on the list for sure. Yeah. So when, when I hear of other people having imposter syndrome as, as coaches primarily, the first thing I try to remind them, so I've, I have six things, six things. I think you can add more. I think a lot of them are somewhat redundant, but, but if you think about these things and, and rule number one, to overcoming imposter syndrome is remember that you know more. Right. So let, let's keep it to cross it for a moment. Chances are, if you're coaching, you should have at least at a minimum taken and passed the level one level certificate one. course, right? There's probably very few people at your box that have their level one that aren't on your coaching staff. Meaning if you coach 20 people in this next class, zero of them, probably have their level one or else they'd be coaching as well. So when someone's giving you grief, when you feel like you're not making um, headway with them, or you're just kind of getting that look, remember, Hey, I know more than this person. I've been through the, what is CrossFit lecture. I've, I watched the squat lecture. I've taken the squat breakout. I went through the muscle up progression. I know more than these people. And that goes I to studied kind of, for this test. 
yeah, I passed this, you know, 55 question or whatever, how many question test and passed. You don't know more than me. And I think that's important to remember, especially when it's some dude or gal that's fitter than you, maybe a little like, here's a great example. I can make any games athlete move better. 100% as you could, as can many level one, level two trainers, level three trainers, level four coaches. They're way fitter than us, but I can probably notice, hey, their knees are coming in. I mean, I judged Hepner at the 2020 games. There were definitely times I could have gotten him to move better. I wasn't my job then. It was to judge. And I'm sure, who did you judge? You judged uh, Smith, right? Chandler Smith? For the regional or so the, for the qualifier? Yeah. Yeah, Chandler Smith. Right. There are probably times where you could be like, hey, dude, if you squeezed your butt a little more, this clean would be easier or your chest of bars would be better. So number one, remember, you know, more. he has a narrow squat stance. Yeah. Take your feet a little wider, dude. <laughs> Do you I like Chandler. I, Chandler's a good dude. Hey, dude, have you uh, thought about taking your feet wider on these squats? <laughs> what do you, you'll, so be able, what do you you'll be able to you'll be able to front squat 405, bro. Yeah, you could have hit that. Uh, pick that back up and take your feet wider. Let me, uh, let me see what you got here. <laughs> uh, so what do you think about that? That's my, you know, and I would say these are in no particular order, but I kind of go from top to bottom. So remember, you know, more number two, remembering you don't have to be fitter. And this is kind of that coach analysis, right? I, I, I'm a jujitsu guy, MMA guy. There's a guy named John Danaher. I don't know if you're familiar with him but he trains out of New York city under Henzo Gracie. And he's got a team called the Danaher death squad. And they are like the team to be in jujitsu. Now you have to keep in mind about this. John Danaher guy is that he's so banged up. He can't even roll anymore. Meaning he can't, you know, train jujitsu, but everyone trusts him. Everyone listens to him and his team is, you know, the best of the best in the jujitsu world. And I'm sure you can make that same analogy for any sport, be it basketball, football, baseball, oftentimes the manager or coach played, but they weren't necessarily a great player. Or if they were, they're no longer great, but the team listens to them. The example that I hear a lot, I don't watch any sports at all other than uh, MMA. We know. Is, is, is Bill Belichick. He coaches, uh, I believe, baseball. And what is he, what's he, who's he coach? The, the, the Braves? Who does he coach? Oh, just keep going. Yeah. Just, I, anyway, just want, I want everybody to soak this up that Bill Belichick coaches the Braves. Go ahead. The Atlanta Braves. I don't know yeah. if he played baseball before coaching. He but definitely I know didn't he, play baseball. But I know he, he gets a lot of respect as a great coach. Is that okay, true? Let's yeah, we're gonna have a teaching moment here. Bill Belichick uh did not he may have played baseball. I'm not gonna speak out of turn, but he did not coach baseball. He coached football. Uh his father coached at the Naval Academy. Oh enough. really? Did he coach yep. you? No, I did not play football. Uh because, coach football. because he coached football and then he coached and he still does coach for the New England Patriots. And they traded Bill Belichick. Tom, yeah, and then they traded Tom Brady or released him, at which point that was the worst decision they ever made because he promptly won a Super Bowl upon Brady going did. to Tampa Bay. Yeah, upon going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But but the point being, no one recognizes Bill Belichick for his football playing. They recognize no. him for his coaching. Right. Right. So point is, you because know, you hear this a lot. Whether it's you, you see it with some people that are overweight. Uh, the example I, I always give is to this day, I struggle with strict muscle ups. Like I can do one. They're not pretty. But it, 
they're not pretty. There's probably a little more hip action than there should be to be considered strict. Still, but I can we'll coach- struggle with the air squat, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I can coach the hell out of a strict muscle up. And I've probably gotten in my coaching career, I would say I must be closing in on 100 people at a minimum to get their first strict muscle up. I can't necessarily do it. In fact, the, 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 the reason I can coach it so well is because I do struggle with it. And I understand the false grip, but I understand the need to, you know, pull to your sternum and not your chest. And I understand the need to have an aggressive sit up in the muscle up. The story I tell is my old buddy, Matt, Matt Franco, who I believe is in Cali now, he came into Albany CrossFit 2008, threw down like a three minute Fran to the point that we filmed it thinking he would break the world record, had muscle ups on day one, but couldn't coach anyone to get their first muscle up. In fact, I talk about it in my book, available on Amazon and besthouroftheirday.com, that the fact that he had muscle ups on day one made him a shitty muscle up coach where I could coach muscle ups all day because I was struggling with it. So you don't have to be fitter and often and use that journey. You've lost a hundred pounds. Tell that story. Most likely the person you're coaching will never understand what that means. They'll never understand the struggle, the work, the effort, you know, the commitment you made to lose those hundred pounds. Be proud of that. Even if that means you don't have muscle ups. Let's go to number three. Number three, which ties into that number two is work your weakness. Okay, you don't have muscle ups. I wanna see you in the corner doing the level one progression. You have an immature squat. I wanna see you facing that wall and doing squat therapy. What's your opinion on that? You're talking about an athlete right now though. I'm talking about the coach. Uh, yeah, you work your weaknesses, but your your weaknesses kind of shift, right? Because a, a weakness as an athlete doesn't necessarily translate as a weakness as a coach. So no, but I'm you saying figure out <clears throat> if, right. if you struggle, you're not the fittest. Show your athletes that you're leading by example. Okay, yes, that I agree with. Yeah, yeah. So when you say work your weaknesses, that's different than leading by example. Cool. Well, we can, yeah. Kind, I kind of. I mean, they're, they're, they're in line, but not necessarily the same thing. And I know how I would think about it, but yeah, I agree and with you. Because here's the other place you have to do that. Hey, I eat right. You know, like I, I'm eating meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. That's why I can talk about this, right? You may not have a six pack like the dude over in the corner, but if you're doing it right, you also know going back to number one, I may be on my journey still. I may be losing weight. I may not be as fit as you, but I promise you, if you did this, you would get better. And that's also you know, something to remember, not on the list, but I think a lot of, you see this a lot with the, the athletes with an ego. Hey, I'm fitter than this coach. Why do I need to listen to him? Because you could be better. Right, because you're not the fittest. Yeah, we say that to our affiliates that we work with that maybe are content, like, oh, I made this much money this month. Cool, do you want to make $3,000 more than that? Rather, you can, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't rest on your laurels and be content anywhere in life. Challenge yourself to get better. And that's as a coach, part of what you bring out. So let's go, let me repeat, because maybe people are taking notes on this episode. That's how great it is. Remember, you know more, you don't have to be the fittest. Work on your weakness and lead by example. Number four, do it for the right reasons. And what I mean by that is, if I'm coaching anyone in this room and I truly go up to you because I think I can make you better, 
I think I can make you more efficient. I think I can keep you safer. I think I can help you shave three seconds mm-hmm. off. Do that with confidence because you know you're doing it for the right reasons. This bleeds over into box ownership as well. And this is one of the things that we talk to people about, like most of them struggle with sales. And it's just like, I don't want to be salesy. I'm like, don't fucking be salesy. But I'm like, do you believe that CrossFit will change their life? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, do you believe that you care about this person so much that you would walk them through this journey? They're like, yes. And I'm like, then tell them that and sell them the membership. And they're like, I never thought about it like that. I'm like, I know, discussing it right now. Yeah, but we, we talk about it all the time. We're solving problems. We're making these people better. We're, we're making their life better. And a, a great drill that you and I work our affiliates through is the heaven and hell drill. And that, you know, you can, you can, you can tie it in here on the affiliate level. It works really well when you have like a new person come in and you're like, remember why they're coming in. Cause they're tired. They don't feel great. Their significant other isn't looking at them with the same you know, loving eyes than they once did. They can't bend down to pick up their kids. They're, they're you know, miserable at work every day. They, they're taking blood pressure medication. That's the hell they're living in. And you have this prescription for heaven, which is, you know, your, your significant other is attracted to you again. You come off this medication. You can have more energy to take care of your kids. You have to remind yourself of that. You have to uh, who's remind it? yourself I was- that- I was listening to, or no, what did I see this the other day? Oh, Sevan posted something about this. There, or somebody reposted it, and he was just like, "Hey, just a reminder, affiliates, you still have the solution to the world's most vexing problem." And I was just like, "Fuck yeah, that's right, we do. That's right, we, we absolutely forget do. about that." We, right. You know, and you know, and and whether I mean, really, we're just taking a, a macro view of this. But if you're a coach and you know, hey, I'm doing this for the right reasons to make this person better. You know, and, and this is going to tie into number six when we get to it, but just know that you should be approaching them with that confidence. I saw his knees go in. Yes, this dude squats 150 pounds more than me, but it could be 155. It could be 160 pounds more than me. And most importantly, potentially I'm saving him from an injury one day when his knees come crashing in and he's got four or five on his back. <laughs> Just a basic strategy that I would like before I was just comp- more confident with it when I would just, just if, if you have an athlete like that, who's fitter than you or, or whatever, and in, insert like whatever they're better than me at um, strength is an easy one, but just walk up to him and be like, Hey, would you like to back squat more weight? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, push your knees out. <laughs> and they're like, okay. <laughs> and you know, and that, that goes to one of my favorite coach Glassman questions that he would ask people, how's that working for you? How's that working and, out and for you? How's that working for you? Oh, well, it's great. I have 405. Okay, you don't want 415. You don't want 425. Just Or how just, long have you been at 405? Right. And you know, how's that working for you is a great question to ask someone when it comes to their nutrition, but also their performance anywhere in life, assuming it's not your significant other, because that will cause a tremendous fight. So let's go to number five. As a coach, you have to be willing to say, I don't know. This one comes with confidence. Um but I'll give you guys a little insight. So when you go to the Naval Academy, I'll give you the answer to this. When you go to the Naval Here Academy. Go. Here we go. Division one. Yep. Uh, no, the Naval Academy, is, it is division one, but it has nothing to do with sports. Uh, when you show up there for what is called I-Day or Indoctrination Day, shortened Indoc. Indoc. You're, you're given, <laughs> when, the, when you show up and they shave your head and they give you your bag full of shit, you're not sure what it is. And they, 
they tell you in no uncertain terms, you now only have five responses that you can give. And those are the only words that you get to use until we tell you otherwise. <laughs> what are they? What are the five words? So it's like, sir, yes, sir. What's well, it's phrases, right? So like you only have these. So it's like, sir, yes, sir, sir, no, sir. Um, sir, I'll find out, sir. Or, uh, and then what is the other, I forgot seeing the other ones, but so that, but that's the one that stuck with me forever is rather than bullshit is just say, I'll find out. Right. So if you're uncomfortable saying, I don't know, then just say, I'll find out. I will get you an answer and then uh, go find the answer. Yeah. And I don't know who to attribute it to, but I've, I've heard numerous times, like the smartest people are willing to say, I don't know. And I think it's beyond just intelligence. I think it is ego. You have to have a strong ego to be a master at your craft, you know, be at a level three, level four coach and be willing to say, I don't know, let me find that out and come back with that solution. But think about it from the athlete perspective. If someone says, you know, Hey Jay, uh, you know, what's the best way I can improve these uh, chest of our pull-ups. And I'm like, I don't know, let me do some research. And then I come back a day, two days, three days later with an answer. Yeah. What is that telling my athlete? Oh shit, this dude cares. Yeah, you're not yeah, you're not obligated to know the answer. You're obligated to find a solution. And 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 you and I have probably both experienced this at seminars where QA comes up at the end of one of the lectures. Nutrition's a great one. Like, you know, how does this get impacted by the Krebs cycle? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. I can tell you I eat don't meat, know. vegetables. Yeah. Let me look that up for you. Let's talk about it after, etc. So, you know, again, dealing with imposter syndrome. Be willing to say, I don't know. Last thing, and I'd be anxious to hear if you have anything to add to it. This was just my list. And, and this one kind of came from, I got to give him a little bit of a shout out, Jersey Tony in my coaches group. I, I tweaked it a little bit, but the way I finished this was don't tie your ego to their attitude. In other words, don't let your ego and your belief in yourself be impacted by someone else's shitty attitude. We've all experienced it. Fern, you've given lectures at level ones where you have one person out of 50 looking like they don't care, looking like they're bored, looking like they'd rather be anywhere else. First of all, many times that's not the case. You know, maybe they just had a shitty night's sleep. Maybe they have a newborn. Maybe they're stressed about something. Maybe they're just, that's their way of looking like they're really maybe, in Maybe they're just like me and they have a resting dick face. Like maybe yeah, that's just the way that God made them. <laughs> RDF, right? You can't, we've all been there. And then all of a sudden your lecture takes a downturn because you're like, no one cares. Meanwhile, you've got 49 people, you know, eyes wide open, you know, hanging on every word. Same here. If, if you're doing everything we've talked about, remembering you know more, you don't, knowing you don't have to be fitter, working on your weaknesses, doing it for the right reasons and saying, I don't know, and they still have a shitty attitude, that's on them. That's not on you. Yeah, it's one of those things where I can't let, I can't let somebody else dictate my, my energy, if you will. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and figure out how to solve that problem for them. You know, like don't necessarily turn away from it and just ignore it. Is there something that you could do? Could you dig in a little bit more on that person and like find out? you know, go with the Chuck cars well, like ask more, 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 one more question, be like, Hey, it looks like you're bored. Like, are you? Cause if you are, I, then I need to do a better job. And they're like, no, no, I'm totally into this. I'm like, okay, you just got a weird look on your face. And they're like, Oh, 
my face. I'm like, okay, cool. Now we're on the same page. It's fine. Um, yeah, my I've partner's got before. wrestling big face too. I'm used to it. Yeah, it's just like whatever. People think I'm angry all the time, but I'm not. Well, the, um, so and I think yeah. I mean, if, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, if if you're dealing with this, first of all, I hope that list helped. But but and I'd be anxious to hear if you have other things that have worked for you. You have, for the listeners, hit us up. But what I would also tell you, kind of like you're alluding to, is communi- communication is key for everything in life. I think, you know, people ask both of us how we deal with one another, how we've grown this successful business, how we talk this often. And I think it's because we communicate well with each other. And part of that is being willing to have tough conversations, being willing to put your ego aside, being willing to apologize, all of these things. It it comes down to, hey, if, if you're truly feeling this way and chances are it's one or a handful of people at your box making you feel that way, pull them aside. What can I do to be better coach for you? What do you want from me? Some people may just be like, look, I come in here and I just like to do my own thing because this is my downtime. This is my time away from anything else. You're a great coach. Don't take it personally. Yeah. Right? I would only add one thing. To this list? Mm-hmm. Number seven? All right, I'll write it seven. down. What do you got? Practice. Ooh, what do you mean by that? We could replace imposter syndrome with unpreparedness i would challenge you there in that it's you know, i'm not it's it's syndrome not is a feeling right now right? but i guess why do i have this feeling is the question right and, and what i would what i would argue and so this is not the sole one right no, I get so where it's you're going, one yeah. it's one of seven um and you at, at a bare minimum will reduce this feeling of imposter syndrome by practicing your skill, your skill set. So imposter syndrome starts to creep in when I'm unsure of what it is that I'm doing. The way you stop feeling unsure is you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice until that anxiety turns to confidence. And most people severely underestimate the amount of practice that it takes to rid yourself of imposter syndrome. The amount of mistakes that I need to make before I feel confident, I don't know what it is, but it's a lot. Like, how many lectures did you give to yourself prior to walking through up on and giving your first lecture? Like, how many times did you give that? Like, and I don't mean like full whiteboard practice, but like, did you sit in your car and work through a phrase? Or like, as you're walking the dog, you're talking it through and then you do only portion of it on the whiteboard. I don't know, but my guess is it was a lot. Like Todd Woodman says. So what do you say 17 times before you uh show up to do it yeah and, and you know you bring up a great point though because there are times where i felt like my lectures didn't go as well and most often those times where i didn't practice enough during the week and that could have been a lecture i'd given a hundred times right if you know i haven't worked a seminar in a bit i'm going to work in april whatever lecture i get i'm going to practice numerous times because i don't want to show up feeling like I'm not prepared. I I love it. You know, I I would push back in two areas. I would push back in the sense that a lot of the people we're dealing with or not dealing with, but but referring to or asking us about imposter syndrome, just haven't had the opportunity to practice. So you just come back. I I don't accept that. But say you just go and get your level one on Saturday Mm. and Sunday and your coach or the box owner throws you in Monday, you could only be so prepared. Okay, I'll give you that. That you could only be so prepared. But did you put in 
everything that you possibly could do in order to be prepared? Or did we just lay down and say, well, there's no way I'm going to be prepared by Monday. Like if you didn't check every single box, if you didn't write a lesson plan, if you didn't get on the Google machine and get on YouTube and look through every possible progression prior to showing up to that class, then you're unprepared. Right. And that unprepared isn't does. And sometimes like, it's okay to have imposter syndrome. Like if you're not prepared, having imposter syndrome or what that feeling looks like is not unwarranted. And it's also not forever. So that's where the practice comes in is like, yes, you could be, are you, are you fully prepared? No. But did you put in enough reps that you feel at least confident in this one to two things and be like, Hey, this is as good as it's possibly going to get based on the time that was allotted. Like, do I have a long way to go? Absolutely. No, I I agree. I think there's a difference between like, I've practiced so much that no matter what versus did you do your best? You took your right. level one this weekend, your coach is throwing you in for the 5 a.m. I would say, did you study before your level one? Did you pay attention? Did you take explicit notes? When you got home, did you look at the workout for tomorrow and make a lesson? Yes. So there could always be more practice. So, so that's where I'm going with your, that is- Did you yeah, do your best? You have control over a lot of those things. And if we were rewind the clock, there's a lot of things that were mixed in there that- that we didn't necessarily get. And that's where I'm going with that. And that's not to like, you know, like poke anybody in the eye, but the point is, it's just like practice, practice your skill set, practice your craft, practice saying it in an empty room, practice coaching to med ball cleans. And this is, a, we've talked about it before, like you should set up a, a room of, of inanimate objects and you should coach them or them, give them all names, like whatever, make it up. Oh, I used but to do that sh- when I was getting ready. I had right. index should, cards with names. Yeah, you should calls. do all yeah. of that. You should be like, all right, hey, Mr. Chair. All right, uh, you know, hey, sock over there, push your knees out. Like that is how you, that is how you work through all of that anxiety and 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 all of these thoughts and, and, and all of these things is like, you got to practice. Practice is how you become masterful at anything. And so figure out, okay, what am I going to practice? Am I going to practice giving the whiteboard brief? Am I going to practice, you know, just making sure that we um, are start the workout on time? Does that I have a lesson plan? Like you don't have to practice everything. Practice the most important thing, which is like the, the most anxiety you're probably going to have as a coach is stepping up to the whiteboard. Practice your whiteboard brief. After that, you can just kind of just like bounce around like a goofball and like make sure that we start the workout on time and make sure that everybody moves safely. And that would be considered a success in some scenarios. So control what you can control, you know, put in the effort on the one thing that's going to make an impact, which is like, you know, we talked about this the other day, just like group management. And then like, if that's you practice your whiteboard brief, knock people's socks off with that whiteboard brief, go back to our first episode ever, listen to the whiteboard brief, make sure that you hit those three big ticket items. What's the workout? What's the stimulus? What are your scaling options? And then just crush that, you know? So, and then revisit it. And then what's the next thing? I'm going to master the next thing, right? Lesson plan. Like, how can I get through like a cool general warm-up that's fun? Cool. And then be like, all right, I don't really know how to teach a snatch, but just make sure nobody kills themselves. Like, right. You know, that. And, and, and I would say, you know, throw on top of that, understand it's going to be cyclical. You know, I haven't coached in a month. I go back next week. I might feel a little bit of that, but I agree with you by practicing, you'll overcome that. And in time, you'll feel better about it. You know, here's a great example. I'm sure you've witnessed it. You've been at seminars where like Nicole shows up, Dave shows up, 
Coach Glassman shows up back in the day, mm-hmm. and you're like, please don't watch this. Like, please don't watch my lecture. Please don't watch my breakout group. Please don't watch anything. Nowadays, I'd be like, fucking show up and watch this. We're right. going to knock your socks off. And that just but again, comes from goes the back confidence. to, right. It goes back, but that confidence is developed from practice, right? Practice. You have to practice. And I've talked about this before, and this has nothing to do with like my skill set, but I've shot so many basketballs at this point. Here we go. Whether they went in or not, right? The point is I've shot so many basketballs. You've put a basketball in my hand. Like at no point do I feel that that is weird. At some point you're going to coach so many reps of the air squat. You're going to coach so many classes. You're going to give so much feedback that it's just second nature at this point. That's what you're trying. That's kind of like the 10,000 hours thing where it becomes that unconscious competence. That's what you should be moving towards at all times in whatever that skill set. And then when you master that, then you move to the next skill set, right? That's it. But it starts with practice. You got to get the first rep and then you got to get the second rep. And then eventually you're on 1 million. 10,000 hours, right? You know, I think, I think about that often in some hobbies and activities that I'm not great at jujitsu, guitar, uh, you know, everything. And I'm like, well, I haven't put in the time. I haven't put in the practice, but where I have is coaching. And that's why I have the confidence there. And but I intentional, think- right? And I think that was kind of, I don't know if that was left out, but I think a lot of people serve back on that. It's not just 10,000 like flippant hours, 10,000 no, it's kind of- intentional hours. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Meaning- Did you make that you know, Yes. That's really good. We should write that down. We should make like a poster. Maybe we should start a company where we put catchy phrases on paintings. I can't tell if you're being serious right now. I'm definitely not being serious. <laughs> I also couldn't tell if you were being serious when you told me that Bill Belichick coaches baseball. So. But do you think I made that up? And, or, and if you don't think I made it up, was it at least good? No, I definitely know you didn't make that up. Uh, it is good. It has nothing to do with you. Okay. Well, fair enough. But I think the point is, you know, and people hear that and they're like, oh, I got to be perfect. It's like, no, but maybe not perfect practice, but intentional practice. In other words, shooting shitty basketball shots for an hour doesn't do anything because you're going to just well, reinforce shooting shitty again, basketball shots. But it's well, so there's even counter arguments to that, which is just like get your reps in. And even if they were not perfect, like two people, two probably two of the top three greatest shooters of all time in the NBA. Michael Jordan. Nope. We could go with Reggie Miller. We could go with Larry Bird and I would now throw Steph Curry in there as well. So those are probably the three. She? She's good. <laughs> no. The is like those are probably the three people like if you put a basketball hand in their hands and you leave them open, it's going in, right? Now, if you watch all three of them shoot, I would say of the three by far Steph Curry has the best form, but if you watch Larry Bird and Reggie Miller shoot, it's not great. However, they shot more than anybody, which you can even work around that if it's not perfect is just by get your reps in. Get your reps in and you will, you will slowly start to work things out. And maybe you have a unique skill set or you have a unique flavor. You have a neat, unique kind of tone and stuff like that. But you can't circumvent the like you got to get your reps in and you got to practice. I'd agree with you. I guess my point would be, hey, if someone's able to make you better, you would be silly for not trying. In other words, if I squat with my knees in and above parallel, is it getting me better at squatting? Probably, but yeah, not better than- No, we're saying the same I, thing, which is like, it doesn't need to be perfect. Like you just need to practice. 
but yeah, and you need to be intentional with that practice. So like always, I spent some time, came up with this nice list of six things. You come in, hijack it, add a seventh, and think you created it all. Practice. <laughs> <laughs> but sincerely, we hope that if you're listening to this, because this is a question we get asked often, and I hope that helps because I, I think it's important. If you're listening, here's the other thing. If you're listening to this, understand one very important thing. You care. There's hundreds of thousands of level one trainers these days. Something in, right, Fern? Like hundreds of thousands. I, I, think, I think there's, uh, for, I th I'm pretty confident that this is accurate. That there is for sure over 150,000. Right. On the best, if we're having a great week, and we got 10,000 downloads on an episode. That's not even 10%. So understand you fall into the top five or 10% of CrossFit trainers that are actually trying to improve themselves. And so long as you know, you're, you're trying to improve yourself, you're, you're, you shouldn't feel that you're not giving your best. You shouldn't feel like an imposter because it goes back to leading by example. You're, you're doing your best and you don't have to be braggadocious. You don't have to tell your, your members because it will be so obvious, man, when this girl or gal or guy shows up to coach, they fucking care. Right. And like coach, when Gla like coach Glassman said, how do you run a successful affiliate? Care, 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 care. So, it's, and it's the one thing that all CrossFitters recognize effort. That's it. So I don't care whether you're the fittest, you're not the fittest, you're new or you're a veteran show up care, Follow those seven steps, and hopefully that'll help you overcome imposter syndrome. All right, Fern? I'm glad I was able to wrap that up for you and really clean that up. You, you tied a bow on it, for sure. You you, you know, you, uh, you, you cleaned up my mess, as always. For sure. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at Best Hour of Their Day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time.